Blog Talk Radio. Right fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women in the ring. two-minute round. This is episode number 117 of your hooks and jabs look at the female boxing world. My name is Felipe Leon from Southern California slash Tijuana, Mexico. And with us all the way from the Bay Area of Northern California is Mrs. Lupe Gutierrez. Lupe, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, thanks. Oh, there you go. You sound perfect, Lupe. Perfect. And from the Riverside area of California, the Inland Empire, Quite possibly the hottest area of California is Mr. David Avila. David, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. It was only 102 today. Oh, it's only only 102. Man, I'm <laughs> dying over here. But here we are on another show. We have a lot to talk about. We have some fight results. We have some fights coming up. And also with us in about 15 minutes, it's our very special guest, Mrs. Up-and-Coming Prospect from Las Vegas, Nevada, Serena McCoy. She's going to be speaking to us about her boxing career, also about, you know, everything that had to do with her beginning of the sport and also her favorite subject, at least on social media, is who she wants next. I don't think there's a fighter out there that calls out more fighters on a weekly basis than Miss Serena McCoy. So she'll be talking to us in about 15 minutes. So we're going to go on a little bit of a, of a fight review and talk about the results that we saw in the last couple of weeks in the world of female boxing, starting with Saturday, August the 28th in Montreal, Canada. Kim Clavel scored a unanimous decision over Maria Soledad Vargas in a 10-rounder. That was at junior flyweight with a vacant WBC silver title on the lines. Where scores were 99-91 twice and 98-92. So it was a lopsided decision. It was on Fight TV in the United States. I don't know if you had a chance to see the fight, David. Did you get a chance to see it? No, I didn't want to pay 29 bucks. Mm. I didn't yeah, see it. I didn't see I didn't watch either. I mean, I saw that she won. And we're going to talk about another female fight that ended tragically on the same card. But we'll talk about that in a little bit later on in the show. Sunday, August 29th, the next day on Showtime Pay-Per-View, Amanda Serrano uh, positioned herself still at the top or one of the top spots in the boxing pound for pound scoring a unanimous decision over fellow uh, world champion Jamilis Mercado. Jamilis Mercado still holds the WBC 122 pound title, but she moved up to featherweight at 126 to challenge for Serrano's WBC, WBO, and IBO um, uh, titles. She came up a little bit short, losing a unanimous decision to 99-91, 98-92, and 97-93. And I, I'm going to eat a little bit of crow here on the show because I was convinced <laughs> that Amanda Serrano was going to knock out Jamiles Mercado. You know, I thought that, and I, and we saw that Serrano was obviously a level above uh, Jamiles, but Mercado did show that she had a granite chin, and she did show that 
you know, as many, many fellow Mexicans in the boxing world, she goes out there and she fights to the bitter end. Unfortunately for her, she came up short, but she tried and challenged and she lost the fight. David, what did you see in the fight against, in Serrano against Mercado? Uh, you know, Mercado is very clever. She has some clever little moves and, and counter shots and, uh, you know, she just doesn't have the firepower to, to compete with uh, Amanda and Amanda is surprising me every every time. I mean, I think I I see her level, her her ceiling, and then she just keeps increasing it. I mean, I think she's way up there now. I'm just shocked at how good she is. Lupi, I you know what I didn't see it, but and I but I can imagine how it went. I'm pretty sure. But I'd like to know if you guys agreed with the scorecards. And was there anything big that happened, like anything that made the crowd go wild? David? Uh, what do you mean, Lupi? Was it really exciting? I mean, was the crowd going, were they really into the fight? Was it that exciting? Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell when you're watching it on the screen. Uh, yeah. You have to actually be there, you know, to to measure the crowd. But... I mean, in terms of uh, action, there was action. I mean, yeah. it was just a – I mean, she was giving Mer- Mercado some horrible body shots. I mean, Amanda was relentless. She must have hit her with at least 100 shots to the body. And, I mean, I cringe because I don't know how Mercado stood up to those shots. I mean, mm-hmm. she got – I mean, Daniela Bermudez could not take those shots. And Mercado took him for ten rounds. Well, one nice. thing about one thing about the difference between Bermudez and Mercado is that Bermudez was a smaller fighter because Bermudez was a one eighteen, and they fought at they fought at one twenty six as well, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So she was one eighteen, so she was actually smaller. And Bermudez at one point had even gone down and fought when she was younger. She had even gone down and fought as low as junior flyweight. So that might not saying that Mercado doesn't have you know, a, a great chin and, and great resistance to body shots, but there, it wasn't comparing apples to apples since Bermudez is a smaller fighter. Now, one thing big that happened during the fight was the fact that Jordan Maldonado, the trainer and manager, Amanda Serrano, got into some hot water when in between rounds trying to, um, you know, challenge Mercado to stand there and fight uh, more statically and not move around as much to maybe help Serrano score a knockout because by scoring a knockout, I think she broke a record of the most knockouts by a female fighter, if I'm not mistaken, or at least tied the record that I think Christy Martin holds. But, you know, Mercado had her, her and her team had a strategy. Jordan Maldonado um, was yelling at them in Spanish across the ring some very uh, high-voltage language um, tinged with a little bit of... Did you hear of, it? Felipe, did you hear everything? Um, yeah, you could hear some of it, you know, some of it. Um, and then you could kind of see how it affected the... Um, it affected the... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the corner of Mercado. And I actually spoke... Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, I spoke to Mario Mendoza, who is the wife, I mean the wife, he's the husband of Jackie Nava and who was working the corner for um, 
Mercado as a new team along with Miguel Reyes, who is the other trainer of Jackie Nava. And I asked him about the incident. He said that he didn't really notice it during the fight and that because they were so in, you know, focused on what was going on in the corner. Mm-hmm. But at one point, because he was actually taking care of the cuts and she did get cut uh, up in, on her right cheekbone. And when the trainer said, hey, you go up in the corner now and I'll stay outside so you could work on that cut. Then he kind of like heard some yelling. He's like, well, who's yelling? And he turned around and saw Maldonado actually like, like walking towards him and yelling, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he just found that, you know, uh, you know, obviously, un- you know, unbelievably unprofessional to the point wow. where Mercado's team, her promoter, co-promoters, 2M promotions from Hermosillo, Sonora and Sanford box, uh, Sanford promotions from Tijuana actually uh, protested uh, in a formal uh, letter sent to the Ohio State Commission, and the Ohio State Commission ended up suspending um, Jordan Maldonado mm-hmm. for six months. Um, now, now this part, I'm not sure, and I don't know if, David, you would know better than I do, or I don't know if you have more news about it, but when a commission suspends a fighter, the Associated Boxing Commission's the Association of Boxing Commissioners, or the ABC, tend to respect the suspension. So if you get suspended in Ohio, then you're not going to be able to fight in California or Texas or New York or Florida or Arizona or wherever another fight might be um, unless they lift that suspension on in the original state. But I don't know if that is the same with trainers do you know that if by chance amanda serrano tries to fight let's say new york city in the next six months jordan will be suspended or that suspension is going to be honored by let's say new york or you know i don't know if puerto rico being that it's not a state and it's a commonwealth or a territory would honor it but new york if they're under the abc should do you know is that something that could go that can happen it's not an automatic. Uh, it usually uh, other states. It's up to to their own discretion. Uh, like, for instance, uh, way back when uh, Margarito was suspended, it wasn't an automatic suspension for every state. It, it depends on the state on whether or not they want to to abide by that suspension. It's all independent. Each state is different. So but they, they can do say follow- yes. We. But they do follow the agreement of the ABC. And, and actually, you're bringing up Margarito. He was suspended by the state of California. He waited a year. He fought in Mexico, but he waited a year for the suspension to, be, to, be, to end. But then he still had to go back to California and petition them to allow him to fight in another state, which they, they did when he fought in Texas. or New, well, I think it was either Texas or New York. Because he ended up fighting Cotto in New York afterwards. And he wouldn't have been able to... Um, fight there if California wouldn't have lifted the suspension or at least let it uh, go, live, you know, because um, it was for a year, the suspension. And his trainer was banned for life by California, and all the other commissions honored it. That's true. But it's still, an, uh, it's not an automatic, uh, it's not a blanket suspension. I mean, the other states and commissions, they have to agree to it. The ABC doesn't have that kind of teeth. It's still, uh, it's it's kind of like they they see it as a association, but they don't necessarily all go by it. Hmm. 
Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if she, I mean, we would expect for her to fight in the next six months, whether it be in an MMA cage or in a boxing ring. And we're going to have to see if, if she, even if she fights, let's say she fights, well, I don't know if she'll fight MMA in New York because they tend not to have a lot of MMA fights out there. But, uh, because it was been, it had been banned for a long time um, in M- uh, MMA in New York, and I think that recently they have not recently, well, but years ago. But she's not suspended. It. No, she's yeah, not suspended, she's not. but but yeah. he is. So we'll see if a if the other commissions honor the suspension from from actually True. Ohio and allow him to work the corner, you know. So we'll True. see if that happens. So and and I, and I, and on quite honestly, that kind of you know, kind of took the lead story more so than Serrano beating Mercado. And people were really, and social media really taking a task, Amanda Serrano, that she wasn't actually like taking more of a lead on that. And you could tell in the post fight interview that, that, that they were trying to interview Amanda and then Jordan was still yelling at Mercado's team while they were leaving the ring. And then Mercado claims that while she was being put in the ambulance to be taken to the nearby hospital for a for a regular checkup, you know, after the tough fight, that he was yelling at them as she was being loaded onto the ambulance. Oh my god! You know? So, at, but in that post fight interview, you could see that Amanda's trying to get him to stop yelling, you know, um, and he did. You know, he she kind of asked, she asked him, kind of like smiling, you know, like kind of calm down. And, and then she was able to finish um, the interview. But uh, we'll oh see. So that kind of took, took the lead story of that whole fight. And people on social media were calling out Amanda for her to kind of like take more of a lead. And she said, hey, I never had an issue with the fighter or the corner. That was between corners. And that's up to them. I don't know mm-hmm. if that is satisfactory to some people or not, like her response. But obviously, you know, they've been together her whole career, and she owes a lot to Jordan, so I don't think that she's going to publicly criticize him in any way, shape, or form. Well, he, he and she has really no exciting. control. Yeah. So, moving on, Saturday, September 4th from Leeds in the, in England, on the zone, Katie Taylor scores the unanimous decision over former IBF featherweight champion Jennifer Hahn in a scheduled 10-rounder at 135 pounds. Uh, that was for the Taylor's unified uh, undisputed title that WBC, WBA, IBF, and the WO. Uh, the scores there were 189 three times. Jennifer Hahn did touch the canvas in that fight. Now, Jennifer Hahn yeah. hadn't, lost, hadn't fought actually in a couple years and only six months ago gave birth to, I think, I don't know if it was a son or a daughter, uh, but a baby. And one thing that has been. Oh, she did of, fight. She did fight. Who fought? She did fight less than a year ago. Less than a year ago. Oh yeah, I think she did like in Texas, yeah. right? Like a little, like right. a little. But that was like I think mm-hmm. before, before her. Was that before or after childbirth? After, after. Okay, so after that, it was a little uh, get back in the ring type of thing. Yeah, you're right, David. I'm sorry. So one time in the yeah. last two or three years. Uh, but one thing that is kind of going around in the in social media, Lupi, and this is a question for you. Does it look to you? Did it look to you that Katie Taylor lost a step in that fight? You mean lost a step isn't looking awkward? Well, lost a step in like she didn't look her like as her dominant self, even though like all three yeah. judges gave her all the rounds. 
but some of those rounds got pretty close. And I think that Jennifer Han did deserve a couple of the rounds. And actually, when they announced the scores, Han looked like super surprised. I mean, I knew she she probably knew that she lost the fight, but she didn't think she lost all ten rounds. And I agree with her. I don't think she lost all ten rounds, but she did I lose the fight. So. Do you think that Taylor yeah. looked? Not her yeah, best. I thought that she seemed a little awkward at times, but like she was still a step ahead most of the time. But Don, she definitely came to fight. I mean, and after having a baby, my gosh, I, she did. A, she did a great job. Yeah, and I was so impressed I by that. What I expected out of the fight, you know, I noticed that Kaylee looked a, a little like more aggressive than I've seen. Like she was, she had to get in there and get a little dirty. And she just seemed, it, and it did. I thought it looked was a little awkward. That's the word that I use. But that was a really, that was good. It was a good fight. Really good boxing, good fight. David, do you, do you, did you see Taylor as good as you've seen her before, or what did you see? I thought that really it was because of Jennifer Hahn. Mm-hmm. She held it every single round. Every time Katie oh, got no. close, she held her. And I think that's what made this fight so slow, because every time she got close, she grabbed an arm or two. And that's all we saw for 10 rounds. And um, I think uh, it took Katie a little while to figure her out to realize that she every time she got close, she would get held. So she tried to do some of her work from the outside. And uh, she started looking a little better about the third round on. But I thought that Han was basically her tactics were to hit and hold, and that's it. And that's what made the fight the way it was. Just in a I couple minutes. Reduction points. Yeah, yeah. I know that holding is your kryptonite, David. You hate it. And uh, yeah, it. It, got, it, it got a bit excessive. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be bringing on our special guest, up and coming prospect, Serena McCoy. But we'll, let's finish up the fight results fairly quickly here. Um, you know, the one thing about Jennifer Hahn, even though she hadn't fought, she only had fought once in the last two or three years and the baby, you can't deny that Jennifer Hahn is a good fighter. She's not a walk in the park. She comes mm-hmm. from a fighting family. Her brother was mm-hmm. actually a professional fighter as well, A.B. Hahn. And, um, and they have a lot of uh, combat sports experience because not only have they practiced boxing, but I think they actually practice kickboxing as well. So Jennifer mm-hmm. Hahn is very experienced. And even though Katie Taylor, you know, is the undefeated fighter with all the titles, Hahn was a champion herself, just that she decided, mm-hmm. you know, in her personal life to have a baby and she was out of the ring for quite a while, but she's a very, very, very good fighter. So that was a good showing for Han and Kay Taylor on that same card. Ebony Bridges scored a very close unanimous decision over Maylee's Ganloff in an eight rounder at 118 pounds. It looked like Bridges was going to have an easy night. Even might even scored a knock, a knockout cause she was doing really well, but somehow between the early and uh, half of the fight, she ended up, uh, hurting her right hand, she stopped throwing it, and that gave Gangloff the confidence to, you know, be more aggressive and made the fight very, very, very close. We didn't have, being that it's in England and it was one of the early fights, actually, I think it was the first fight of the televised card, mm-hmm. we only had the score of the referee because, of, I guess, before the sun goes down in England at a fight, at a fight card, you know, it reverts back to 1921 instead of 2021. <laughs> so we only had, so we only had one referee, and he scored it 77-76. 77-76. So I think this is a big disservice to Gangloff because if you would have had, you know, normally three judges, 
two of them might have seen it a draw or two of them might have seen it um, for her because the fight was very, very close after Bridges hurt her hand, you know, unfortunately for mm-hmm. her. But being that you only have a referee scoring the fight and he scored it by one point, I think it goes to show that it could have been – it could have gone away either uh, – it could have gone either way in this fight. And now that I think of it, David, do you know of any other country or commission – that has a referee as a sole judge in a fight. I don't. Mexico doesn't even have it. Nobody has. It. I've never no, seen it. No, nobody. Not anymore. Yeah, I mean, this used to be the norm a hundred years ago. But I mean, we're talking about. <laughs> you, you can't. I mean, come on. Matchroom boxing can't afford to pay <laughs> judges for the whole entire fight card. Here in TJ, they have judges in small club shows in the whole entire fight card. You know, and these guys can't afford to to have a three judges there. Even if you could get, you could even put in like got like up and coming judges that are trying to get some fights under their belt so they could get more experience, and that would be more fair than only having the referee score the fight. Unbelievable. Yeah. So Bridges actually announced uh, later on her social media that she fortunately did not suffer any breaks in her hand, but only some very uh, bad bruising and now she is back in Australia in quarantine because Australia you know there are still uh, when you come into the country you have to be in quarantine for 14 days in a hotel in a hotel room before you could go out into the country and that's why and that's why they're actually controlling COVID but that's neither here nor there and lastly on the same night, Saturday, September 4th, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Shelly Barnett scored a unanimous decision over Noemi Bosquez in a Nate Rounder. No scores were announced. The only reason I'm saying is because we had talked about this fight last time, and I didn't think Noemi was going to lose. I think Noemi is a really good fighter, and when you match her up against another fighter with, you know, a 500 record or maybe a little bit of an upside-down record, Noemi could pull it off, but I think Noemi has passed it now. And she ended up losing a unanimous yeah. decision in an eight-rounder. So that's sad to hear. She's a warrior, um, but she ended up losing. So with that, we have finished the fight review. And with that, we bring on our special guest for tonight, up-and-coming prospect, all the way from the Sin City of Las Vegas, Nevada. Is that the city that never sleeps? Yeah, the net city that never sleeps, Miss Serena McCoy. Serena, how you doing tonight? Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for being with us here on the two-minute round. And as tradition, we're going to pass the baton to start off the questioning to the start off the interview. It's not like a, we're police or anything. To start off the interview, uh, <laughs> Mr. David David Avila, go ahead. Serena, hi. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. When did, did we interrupt your training? Uh, no, I actually just finished um, dinner. So. Oh, good. Yeah, well, it was it was nice to meet you at the International Women's Hall of Fame, and uh, that was the first time I had met you. But I have been watching your uh, clips of some of your fights, and uh, I know that you, you mentioned that you lived in Atlanta before. How did you get into the to the sport of boxing? Um, well, I actually didn't start boxing until I moved to Vegas, and um, I wanted to do gymnastics. <laughs> But they were both in the same building, so I walked into the wrong gym. So really, you could say that boxing found me. I didn't find boxing. <laughs> That's how I got into it. 
And, and so did you just go up to somebody and ask them to, to let you put on the gloves, or how did it go? Um, well, I was actually, like, on my way out the door. I was like, this is not gymnastics. I am not built for this. I turned around. I was ready to go. But um, Hall of Fame referee Richard Steele, uh, that's the gym that I started at, the Richard Steele boxing gym, he came up to me, and he was just like, hey, like, you know, can you fight? And I was just like, ah, I'm okay. And he was like, oh, cool. Well, try a free day. If you like it, sign up. If you don't like it, no harm, no foul. So um, I tried a free day with, like, the beginner's class, and it was literally the hardest day of my life. And mm-hmm. after that, I just signed up, and I was like, I'm just going to try it for a month and see how I feel, you know. And then I just I stuck with it ever since. How old were you? I was 11. Oh, okay. So you started at a pretty fair, fairly a young age, and what made you stick to it? Well, um, well, I honestly didn't really like boxing the first few months that I started because I like to be really, I like to have everything looking perfect. I'm a perfectionist, so I like to look perfect, and I was like, I'm not looking like those people in the ring up there. And it was just frustrating to me. But I sparred for the uh, my third month of training, and I did really, really well, and I, like, busted the girl's nose. And after that, I was like, huh, I'm really good at this. I think I want to go to the Olympics. <laughs> what, and um, when you started sparring, uh, who was the one that convinced you to, to, to compete uh, in uh, the tournaments, or did you just say, I want to compete myself? Uh, I I chose to compete um, as soon as I heard, because the year that I started to compete as an amateur, they changed the rules, so I only had to have five fights to qualify for tournaments. Um, And my goal was to go to the Olympics originally, so I knew that I needed to go to tournaments in order to get to the Olympics. Um, So it was my choice to start doing tournaments. And then when I did start doing tournaments, I became a tournament kid, quote unquote. So I was just only doing tournaments. Like the only, I think the only fights I was doing that wasn't tournaments while I was an amateur was the beautiful brawlers. Oh, okay. And how did you get into that? I, I know that Loopy's involved with that. And how, how did you find out about it? Um, God, that was so long ago. My first beautiful brawlers was like thirteen. I think I'm not, I'm not really sure. I honestly can't remember. I just remember my dad going, "Oh my God, look at this! It's an all girls fight, and you're going to be fighting on it this year." So I'm not too sure like what the process was of getting me onto a card. I just know he told me about it, and I thought it was really cool. And he was like, "You're going to be fighting on that this year," and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so, so are both parents involved, or is it just your father? It's just my dad. So my mom passed away when I was six. Um, so it's just oh, been me and my dad. Oh, and what, what what's it like for him to, to see you uh, participate in boxing? He likes it. He's Does a fan of boxing. He's always been a fan of boxing. So he's, like, super supportive of it. He likes it. Um, it's like That's, like, his second job. Like, he has his job that he regularly works, and then he comes home and he – you know, drives around to all these gyms and does stuff and tournaments and stuff with me, like fights and stuff. So that's like a second job. He's my, uh, one of my coaches, my corner man at my fights. Oh, that's pretty good. Does he ever uh, 
is he the kind that uh, worries about when he get cuts or or clash heads or does does he ever mention about being overly protective? You know what? Uh, no, <laughs> he doesn't worry about those things. He's literally like, oh, it's just part of the sport. You'll be okay. It'll heal. Like. <laughs> and, and so, who made the decision to turn pro? Was it your yourself, or, or how did it come about? Well, we sat down when I was 17 because. Um, and how low, time, old are you now? I'm 20 now. Oh, okay. So when I was 17, we sat down and we discussed it together because at the time we weren't sure. There were some things going on within the system of USA Boxing with the old president where um, he got in trouble so much so to the point that they weren't sure if they were going to allow America to compete in the Olympics for boxing. Um, And they were supposed to have found out by a specific deadline. And then they pushed the deadline back, and they still didn't know. And they just sent out this email that was like, oh, um, so we're going to keep fighting. Like, we're going to go to the Olympics, but we are not 100% sure that we're going to be able to compete in the Olympics. And I had just graduated high school early. I had just started college, um, you know, things like that. So we just sat down, and uh, my dad was pretty much like, so what do you want to do if you want to – continue to try to get on this team for the Olympics, then we can do that. If you decide that you want to turn pro now, we can do that as well. So you take your time and you decide on what you want to do and what you think is best for yourself, and you let me know, and we're going to do whatever it is that you want to do. So I thought about it for a few weeks. You know, I was just weighing the pros and cons, and I decided that at the point that I was in my life, it was just a better business decision for me to turn pro as soon as I hit 18. So when I turned 18, I went and I filed my paperwork to become professional, get my federal ID, and then I had my first fight in July of 2019. And so I I noticed that you've been fighting almost all your fights in uh, Tijuana? Yeah. And and what's it like going to it? What was it like the very first time you went to, to Mexico, Tijuana, which is a big flight capital for people that don't know? I mean, they probably have three or four cards a night when, when they on Saturdays. Uh, what was it like to, to be in an arena like that uh, for the first time and uh, under that kind of atmosphere? Uh, well, when I went to TJ, I actually I like it there. That's I honestly feel more comfortable there than I do here in Las Vegas. As funny as that is. Um, People are way nicer out there in TJ. So um, I, when I went out there, everybody was very kind to me, and they were very nice. And um, me, my was my first time, like, you know, having a professional weigh-in or, like, a professional bout. And it was, like, uh, it was it was honestly crazy. There was, like, so many, so many different uh, forms of media there, like, taking pictures or, like, um, little short interviews. And it was, like, people that I didn't even know knew who I was, you know, like, asking me stuff about my career. And I'm like, oh, like, you know me? That's, that's crazy. I didn't even know that I reached people in different countries, you know? So it was just, it was very, um, it was very nerve-wracking because it was my first fight and I was like, ah, like, you know, all these people know me and I don't know anything about this or, like, how I should be as a pro, you know? And I was just pretty nervous about um, mainly fighting without a headgear because I've never done it before. And I was just like, 
Rizzo, everybody who talked to me who I asked about it was just like, more when you get hit with a head here. <laughs> Still, I was like stressing. I was like, oh my God, she's going to hit me in my face and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. What do I do? What if it stings me? Like, what if it just makes me have like a brain fart and I just like blank in there or something? I was just having a lot of thoughts running through my head and I was like talking to people like um, Quentin Randall and Austin Williams. And, mm-hmm. um, like, I messaged them, and I was like, y'all, I'm so nervous right now. Like, I need advice. And they were just pretty much telling me, like, you can box. You've done the, you've been doing this for a really long time. The only difference is that you're not wearing a headgear, and that doesn't matter. Like, you don't get hit like that anyways. Just make sure you stay on, like, stay focused, stay on your plan. Um, so when I went in there for my first fight, I, I did get a TKO on my first fight, uh, I believe the first round. Um, but in my first fight, they put me in there. I fought two different girls that night. Wow. So that was, How did that, yeah, happen? that was like, <laughs> I'm not too sure. So it was, uh, I guess there was two sets of 112 pounders on the card. And um, they put me in there with the wrong, with a girl from the other set of 112 pounders. So I get in there and I'm like, we're walking down the the ring. We're doing the ring walk. We get in there. I'm in my corner. I look across at this girl, and I'm like, I whisper to my dad. I'm like, this isn't the girl that we're supposed to be fighting. And he whispers <laughs> over to the promoter who got me the fight, and he's like, hey, did they change our opponent? And he was like, I don't know. Just beat her up. And so we were like, uh, okay. So we go through the first round. We literally do the entire first round. And then they, like, the, the first round ends, we go to our corners, everybody just starts talking, it's kind of chaotic, and they take us out the ring. So I'm like, what happened? I'm thinking, like, did her, like, corner stop the fight? Like, what's going on? The um, the guy who was in charge of the missioner comes up to us, and he's like, yeah, we put you in there with the wrong girl. And I was like, okay, so what happens? And he goes, nothing, you're going to wait until we put you back in there with the right girl. And oh. I was like... So this doesn't count. We just did a whole round. And he was like, no. <laughs> so then I had to wait like five or six more bouts. And I was like getting cold and I was like, I was frustrated and I was upset because I was like, oh, I just went in there and I just gave like the, like the best first round of my entire life in there. And it wasn't even with the right girl and it doesn't count. So I was like <laughs> frustrated and I was trying to stay focused. And my dad was like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just go in there. You know, if that was your warm-up, just consider that your warm-up. Now you're super ready for the girl that you're actually going to fight. And then I went in there, and then I got a TKO in the first round. So um, it was just a crazy experience for my first match as a, as a pro. Was that under the COVID uh, uh, conditions? Was COVID already going on? This was right before COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That Was it indoors or outdoors? It was indoors. It was at this um, arena called the Big Punch Arena. They have, like, they. it's a really nice arena in TJ that throws a lot of the fights, a lot of the pro fights. Um, honestly, one of the best places that I've fought at out there. Oh, okay. Well, Serena, well, thank you very much. I'm going to pass you on to Lupi. I'm sure she has questions for you, too. Okay, thank hey, you. Hi, Hey. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm laughing. Well, I was muted because I was laughing on during your uh, Tijuana story. <laughs> I just can't. I mean, I can't. Welcome to uh, Boxy, <laughs> Mexico. No, fancy. I know. I was like, oh. 
it was crazy. I was like, oh, my God. But you're a superstar in Tijuana, right? I mean, you've been there so many, I mean, a lot that they know you, right, when you walk around, go to eat? Yeah, well, yeah, they do know me. I actually, um, I think the first time I got recognized by somebody was in, um, I believe, was it in March? I believe it was in my in March. And um, I had just fought, and me and my dad, we were eating dinner at the little restaurants inside of our our hotel. Um, so our waiter literally just was our waiter the entire time. And then when he finished, he was like, so what are you guys here in Tijuana for? And my dad was like, oh, she's a professional boxer. You know, she just had a match earlier today. And he was like, I knew I knew you from somewhere. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, I watch you. You're on LA TV, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I've seen, like, all of your fights. That's so cool. And I was like, you have? And he was like, yeah, I watch that all the time. Superstar. (laughs) Wow. That's nice. And it's just the beginning. So, Serena, we were just together at the International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame. It was so much fun, and it was great. And it was great to see you in action. I mean, you can multitask. So, yes, it was can really I get fun. can I get your thoughts on the event? And because we were surrounded, I mean, we were with Jill Diamond and Deborah Hopkins of the WBC, Christy Martin, and even Roy Engelbrecht. Um, so, did any future opportunities come your way that night, or did you have any good conversations? Um, yeah. So the event was really amazing um the setup was it was beautiful setup um we did help them set up uh we helped Tupac set up the event in the beginning which was kind of stressful because I had the job of like sitting people at their tables (laughs) and there was like a bunch of people like showing up at one time and they would have questions like oh I'm bringing friends because they sit at my table and I'm like oh well your table's kind of full and they're like but I want to sit with my friends and I'm like oh well, let me go ask, and I'll be back. And so he's just running around, and it got, like, I was hot. I was like, oh, my God, I'm sweating. I'm sweating. <laughs> but once I finally got once we finally got everybody, like, situated and the actual event started, like, it was great. The food was great. The speeches were amazing. You know, um, it was just a really good, fun time. It felt like everybody there could have an opportunity to just be, you know, be themselves and be around people who are like them. You know, so that was a really good experience to see. I felt like um, I didn't feel like I was an outsider, if that made sense. Like, I feel like everybody in there or pretty much everybody in there could relate to the things that I go through, um, Mm -hmm. especially in this sport as a female athlete. You know, I didn't feel like, dang, I'm in a group of people and, like, nobody knows how hard this is. Nobody knows the struggles. Like, I was surrounded by women who knew the struggles, who lived through the struggles just like I do. So that that was really cool. Um, but I did get a lot of really good opportunities. You know, I did have a chance to talk to Christy Martin about getting on one of her cards. Um, I did get to talk to, you know, a lot of the people who had, like, the, um, you know, the NBA belt, the C belt, and things like Deborah that. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I got to, like, have a bunch of conversations about having opportunities uh, to fight for those belts in the near future. And, um you know, I just got to network with a lot of people, and um, Sue actually messaged me a couple of days after the event and was like, yeah, we'd love to have you come back for next year's event, too. Uh, it's going to be, like, at the same place. And I was like, uh, yeah, duh, I'll be there. Oh, that's great. And it is. It's in Vegas now. 
yeah, she was like, it's going to be, it's going to be in Vegas again. And I was like, oh, well, then I'll definitely be there. We'll definitely be there. No, that's great. So, you know, I was going to ask you to clear up um, any rumors on why you left the amateurs to turn pro. And David did talk to you about that. And, and you gave, you know, why you turned pro. And the reason why I bring it up is because for some reason people still talk. Recently, someone in, uh, came to someone in our circle and, and wanted to talk about it, like what they thought, why you went pro. And here you are, seven fights into the pro, and people still care. So is there anything else, because you're probably listening, that you want to add to what you told David? You know? Um, that's pretty did much Did you leave the amateurs I... to, duck, to dodge somebody on? Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Anybody who's in the amateurs right now can definitely meet me in the pros. Like, I've definitely, I, I don't touch anybody. I don't care who it is. I don't care where they are. I don't do that. I've never been that type of person to do that. And I feel like if you are going to touch people, then you probably shouldn't be in the sport. You know, um, I went pro because I felt like that was what was best for me, especially starting college so early. Um, college is expensive. Tuition is expensive. Textbooks. Mm-hmm. super expensive. As soon as I got all those bills, I was like, yeah, I'm turning pro. <laughs> Can't yeah, okay, so what you said to David about it was made more sense business-wise. All right. Yeah. Okay. Business-wise, so, it just made a lot more sense. Okay. So, um, you know, I've spoken about you before on the show on how, you know, vocal you are, and, you, you know, you call out those that you want to fight. So, everybody, this is Serena McCoy, <laughs> who we've spoken to about. So, it's great that you're you're on here. You know, you call out the champions. You don't call out the easy targets. I mean, I've seen you call everybody out you are vocal and you want the real fights so when you first started calling out it's some people would think it was a bit premature like why is she calling out for example Denise Strutt but my question is you were doing that way at the beginning of your career did you anticipate your career to head this way seven and oh just got your first title um were you just getting ahead of it because here well, we we've are always here you are yeah, we have always planned to have my career um, where it's at around this time frame. So we gave ourselves a specific time frame for, you know, how when to get 10, when to have 10 fights by, when to have my first title by, you know. Um, the fact that I have my first title and I'm almost to 10 fights and I'm not even 21 yet, you know, I'm doing what I have to do. I'm working hard. I'm in the gym every day. I'm fighting every other month. You know, I'm doing what I need to do, and I feel like if I'm working this hard and I'm doing what you guys are doing at 28, 29 years old, why shouldn't I be able to get these opportunities just like you do? I do the same things that you do. I get up at 5, 6 in the morning to train and then train again in between going to school full-time and doing whatever else that it is that I do, writing a book, writing music, writing. I literally, I'm in the process of writing a, a, a biography, ghostwriting a biography for my autobiography for my coach. You know, like I have a, a lot of revenues that I'm, that I'm doing at the same time as this sport, and I still put 100% of myself into it. And I'm still doing exactly what all these women are doing at 28, 29, 30 years old, and I'm not even 21 yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's also kind of like you, it's kind of like you, you snuck in those seven fights, you know, like you're, I remember when you just went pro and it's like, bam, 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 like here we are seven and oh, so it goes quick or you were busy. Yeah. I, I got a Silently lot of my busy. fights during the pandemic. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's where like the oh you you know you kind of just snuck in the like those extra fights. It was it was during the pandemic. You know people were taking breaks and you know uh, using the excuse of, like oh my gym is closed so I can't train as like an excuse to kind of I don't want to say slack off but kind of slack off on their training. Me I I never got a break during the pandemic. I was in the gym every day. Well not in the gym but we had a little gym in the garage at my coach's house. So that was my gym. We were we were in the garage every day every single day consistently there was no breaks no days off nothing during Mm -hmm. the pandemic i was still getting fights in i was still traveling to mexico because at the time mexico was the only place that was still holding professional uh, matches during pandemic Mm -hmm. so you know i was still doing you know what i had to do because i didn't i didn't let this prevent me from hitting my goal yeah and here you are so serena one last thing you know, we've known each other a long time, and through my sister, and through beautiful brawlers, and you're a four-time undefeated champion, amateur champion, you know, and we know, and Angie mentioned your mom passed when you were a really little girl. So can I ask you, I mean, so 13 when you came into our lives, can I ask you what you found through the beautiful brawlers, family, and your team? Honestly, when I first went um, I was just I was just a little bit nervous only because I haven't had the best experiences with other women boxers. Um, in like in the time of, of me being a, a fighter, I haven't I haven't necessarily had the best experiences. So I was a little nervous going because this was a lot of um, women all together in one room, and I didn't really know what to expect. But when I got there, you know, it really felt like home to me like everybody was very kind and sweet and supportive of each other and you know I felt comfortable being around you and Blanca and Martha Eliza and everybody else who was there um I felt really comfortable around you guys because you guys made me realize that you know my worth in this sport is a lot more than what I originally thought that it was um, and, you know, after I had my first fight with you guys at the Beautiful Brothers, I told my dad, I was like, uh, I'm going to be coming here every year. Like, I don't care what we do, but October, September, October, I'm going to be here every year. Like, that just is what it is. And he was like, okay, if that's what you want. I was like, no, it is what I want. We have to come here every year. Well, hopefully you can come to our, <laughs> to our show at the end of October. So we'll talk. Maybe we can get you here. Yes. Definitely. Serena, it's always great to talk to you. I love you so much. Hopefully, we of can course, see each other I love soon. you too. All right, Felipe. Thank you, Lupe. Hi, Serena. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Uh, so, earlier in the interview with uh, with with uh, Lupe, you mentioned that you know you guys have your career planned out, and obviously, like anybody that makes plans, you want to. You want to fulfill those plans. When you say we, that we we knew when we were going to do our main uh, our first bout, and we knew when we want to fight for our first title. Who is we? Is that you and your dad, or is it more than just you and your dad planning out your career? Uh, well, mainly it's it is me and my father. My father is my you know my my dad is your, my advisor, um, but ultimately I make all of these decisions as a collective with my entire team you know my coaches and my um my mentors because I, I what I feel like is a big uh 
like misunderstanding in the sport is that you have to do it all alone. The only thing that you should be doing alone in this sport is getting in that ring. You know, uh, in order to build a, a healthy and stable career and get yourself off the ground, you're, you can't do it all by yourself. I mean, you could, but it's going to be extremely, extremely hard. I find it that because I've been blessed with a group of people who have always been supportive and had my best interest at heart, it's always easier for me to make the best decisions for myself and um, be properly prepared for everything that I'm doing. So when I say we, I mean, you know, my whole team as a collective, but ultimately the people who sit down and uh, make the final decisions are me and my father. We sit, we sit down together as partners and we, we make the best decisions for, for me and what I feel like is best for my career at the time. So with that said, and touching on the subject that Looper brought up as far as calling out some fighters and, you know, some of them, you know, maybe a couple of a little bit more down the road from you in your career, is that, you know, part of that conversation with the rest of your team or is that strictly coming from you? That that part is strictly coming from me. For me, I feel <laughs> like boxing has lost its touch on uh, what a champion really is. And you can have as many belts as you want, but you're not really a champion unless you're fighting the best of the best. You sitting here cherry-picking whoever you want so that you can for sure get a win doesn't make you a champion. It makes you a winner. A champion is fighting the best of the best, win, lose, or draw, and knowing that you gave 100% of yourself. You don't have to be undefeated to be a champion. You can be undefeated to be a winner, but you can't be undefeated to be a champion. So I feel like regardless of what my record looks like at the end of my career or what I do or don't have at the end of the career, even though I have my specific goals that I would like to set for myself in this career, as long as I'm fighting the best of the best at all times and I'm giving 100% of myself into that ring every single time that I'm in there with somebody equal to my level or higher even, then that makes me a champion in my eyes. That's a good way to see it. Um, Speaking of your record, you know, when when Tijuana was in the middle of COVID and they actually moved the fights to Rosarito, you fought out there and actually you were announced as a loser of a fight, but it wasn't recorded on your record. I know that you have disputed that result on um, on your social media. What can you tell us about that fight and how it turned out that you ended up being announced as a loser? Um, so that fight actually wasn't a sanctioned fight. It was more of an exhibition fight from what I was told because it was never on any records or it was not um, recorded as an actual fight. So it was really supposed to be more of like an exhibition match from what I was told, which is why it never was on my box rec. I'm not really sure what happened as far as like a result-wise because I had got a headbutt to the head and I had a, I had a cut, you know, so... I was pretty much trying to go see about that after the fight was over. But as far as it being like a sanctioned match or anything like that, it was never sanctioned. As far as I was told, it was an exhibition. So it was never sanctioned or on my record or actually it didn't count as an actual fight. Okay. Now you're scheduled to fight in October in, uh, in Atlanta. You don't have an opponent yet listed on actually box rec. And this would actually be your first fight in the United States. States. You mentioned that you'd rather fight in Tijuana than, or, than in Vegas or be around Tijuana more than Vegas. Do you feel that it's kind of in your favor that this fight, it's in the United States, but not actually in your hometown of Las Vegas? 
Um, honestly, I don't really mind fighting anywhere. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to fight in Atlanta because all my family's out there. Um, and it would be nice to finally have people supporting me. Uh, most of the time that I'm out fighting, I don't have many supporters because I'm always fighting in somebody else's hometown. Um, so it would be nice to fight in Atlanta to, you know, have my family there and stuff. But I, as far as, you know, where I fight, it doesn't really matter to me. I just enjoy being in TJ more than I do in Vegas. Okay. And um, obviously you don't know who your opponent is right now do you and this is going to be your second six rounder uh, of your career have you found a little bit harder the the changes that you and your team had to do to go from a four rounder to a six rounder obviously there's cardio involved obviously you have to have a little bit more air to go in your lungs to go two more rounds but your strategy has to be different as well because you don't have to go as hard because it's only a four-rounder. You have a little bit more time to do certain things inside the ring because you have two more rounds. Have you found that to be easier or more difficult than training for a four-rounder? Um, well, we don't train for like four, six, eight-rounders. We train 10, 12 rounds. Uh, that's what we have always trained for. Even when I was in the amateurs, um, we, we've trained for a maximum amount of rounds so that I'm never tired in any situation. But as far as, like, if it's easier or harder, um, I've, I started the amateurs fighting three rounds one minute and then three rounds two minutes, three rounds three minutes. So I've been through every, you know, every sort of variation of how many minutes that you can fight in a match. And I know, you know, the shorter – the matches, the more intense that the fight is going to be, the longer the matches, uh, the, 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 the more you have to play the long game. Um, so I feel like I have to be sharper with more rounds. But um, this fight that I'm going to be fighting in October is actually going to be an eight-rounder. Was the, an eight-rounder? Oh, okay, because it's scheduled in, uh, for a six-rounder in, in box trick. But, I mean, that's, that, that's not a big deal. So, once you yeah, fight so that eight-rounder... Um, we actually just changed it to an eight-rounder because I will be fighting for a title in that match. Okay. Uh, I don't think that I'm allowed to say what title it is just yet until we uh, finish, you know, getting everything situated. But I will be fighting for a title in October... So um, it's going to be an eight-rounder. How serious was the potential of a fight between you and Therese Douglas? I mean, I saw you guys going back and forth on social media, and it looked like, you know, it looked like you guys were heading towards a fight, and then it just kind of like the, all the talk kind of like evaporated. Was there serious talks, I mean, business talks, I mean, contract talks between you guys, or was it just all social media? No, um, we we definitely were serious. Like none of that was um, just for social media, or for cloud or anything like that. We definitely were serious. It's just that Tyresha has, is just you know coming back into the sport after a hiatus, and she has a list of you know fights set up for her already, and so do I. You know, I have my whole entire rest of the year planned out with matches and dates already, and she has you know her next few matches and dates planned out already as well. Um, so that's going to happen. It's just not going to happen right now. Okay, that's good. That's a good fight. And now my last question to you, I, I, 
touching on, on the subject that Lupe touched about you challenging other fighters. You challenge anybody from 108 in East Estrada to Teresa Douglas, who fights at 115, which is, seems like the weight that you're at. Is that your plan? I mean, do you want to stay at super flyweight at 115, or do you have the option to go down to 112 and even 108 if need be, or is your weight class 115? I have the option to go down as well as go up. Um, I don't have any issues with going down to 108, 110, 112, um, staying at 115 or even going up to 118, you know. So um, I have – I'm very flexible. I can be very flexible with that. It's not an issue for me at all, you know, which is why I call out women in, like, all these different weight classes because it's not an issue for me to go down there and take that fight. All right, Serena, well, we want to thank you for being here with us on the two-minute round. You're very uh, frank and candid with us, and we appreciate that. We wish you all the luck in the remainder of your career, and obviously we don't think this is going to be the only time you're going to be with us on our show. Uh, thank you, and have a great night. Of course. Thank you so much. You as well. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. This is That was Miss... Serena McCoy, all the way from Vegas, calling in, and she kind of like put it on the record. Um, everything has been going on with her career, uh, you know, the callouts that she's done, and um, and how her career has uh, transpired. So uh, we want to thank you for being on the show with us. Obviously, like I mentioned to her, it won't be the the first time or the last time that she's on the show with us. So let's go and move on to a little bit of fight chatter going on. And obviously one of the biggest news that has gone down in the last week or two weeks since our last show is the tragic uh, death of 18-year-old Janet Zacaria Zapata. She actually fought on that card on August 28th in Montreal, Canada. She fought, um, oh, what was her name? Let me look it up real quick. Um, Marie Pierre. Marie Pierre Marie Hull? Marie Hole Pierre or something like that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It Marie was a Hull. yeah. It was a fight uh, scheduled for six rounds in the weatherweight in the weather in the welterweight division, a weight that that Zacaria Zapata had fought in before. Obviously, after the tragic death, she ended up uh, you know, being stopped, I think, after the fourth round, and she was then rushed to the has- the hospital after, you know, fainting in the ring. She was uh, put in a medically induced coma. Um, and then the following Thursday, uh, she ended up passing away. You know, I followed the story. I actually wrote a little bit of a story on, on last – when was that, David, when we put that story up? It was, uh, uh, I think it was, it was Thursday. Friday. I think it was Thursday. Was it the Thursday of – I think it was. I think it was a Thursday. Yeah. Um, but then since then, I started kind of doing a little bit more research and following up on the story to get ready for tonight's show. And I read some accounts. I actually read this this article uh, by this magazine, uh, Mexican magazine called El Proceso, which kind of goes a little bit more in depth in, in different uh, news in Mexico. And they actually spoke to the father and uh, mentioned that that at one point they had done a FaceTime. The doctors had done. actually they 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 contacted the father and try and and wanted to get his permission to operate fairly quickly in the whole ordeal. And he said no, let's give her a little bit more time because he felt that if they operated, it would put her more of a risk. 
and he said, let's give her a little bit more time to kind of like fight through it. And she ended up improving uh, the Sunday, the Monday, uh, the Tuesday um, oh, after yeah. the incident. And then, and then she, turned to, she took a turn for the worse and she ended up passing away. And that is the point that even to this, to this day, uh, her father does not understand how she could have taken a, a, a turn for the worse. It was explained to him that the blood pressure being, if it was weak or too strong or too weak, could cause problems in her brain. And it seems like that's what happened, that they couldn't regulate her blood pressure. There's also a really good article on ringtv.com by Michael Woods that also uh, interviews the father and explains that, you know, this was her decision that she wanted to fight, that she she had felt that this was her destiny and her goal and her dream to be a professional fighter, despite the fact that she was told that she would need an operation after her last fight before this one, where she was also knocked out and spent some seconds or minutes um, on the on the on the on the canvas, but she was not to be dissuaded. Her father, who was her trainer slash sparring partner, said that. And he wanted to emphasize that, you know, she wasn't taken there as a sacrificial lamb, you know, on short notice or anything like that. She actually trained a good amount for this fight. She felt she was ready for the fight. She felt it was a good opportunity that she had a good chance, as well as he did, to uh, beat the Canadian. Um, unfortunately, her father was not able to travel with her because he had an expired Mexican visa. Actually, it's easier to get into Canada as a Mexican than obviously into the United States. But the fact that his Mexican passport, I'm sorry, not the visa, but the Mexican passport was expired and he was not able to renew it um, promptly because there is, because of COVID, there is no, inter there's no um, interviews or, or appointments to renew your Mexican passport. He wasn't able to get secure a Canadian visa, so he wasn't able to travel with her. And that was the first time that he had not traveled to one of her fights, either amateur or professional, in her career. And after her, after her, uh, the accident or the incident, however you want to call it, they were helping him secure a visa so he could be bedside, but it was too late. He wasn't able to get it. And now they're waiting. Um, they were going to uh, perform an autopsy in Canada to figure out exactly what happened. And then he was actually asking the Mexican government to also perform an autopsy once the body gets to Mexico. And then they had they start, some neighbors of theirs in Aguascalientes, uh, Mexico, started a GoFundMe page and to pay for her medical. And, and now it's going to pay for her funeral. So the dad was thanking everybody for doing that and asking uh, and he wanted to give her a big send off, which I hope he does. Uh, one thing that I wanted to share with you guys that I did find on the internet, it's actually a report that states that since the Queensberry rules were enacted in 1867, in the 20th century, or up to now, since 1867 to now, there has been 2,080 fatalities of this sort in boxing. You know, this is not the first one, and it's not going to be the last one. You know, but only five of them have been female. But my question for for David, and that's this is a subject that we have touched upon, not so much the fatalities, but the subject that I'm going to bring up right now. We had touched on this subject numerous times on the show and with numerous people from boxers to promoters to everybody. And obviously it's the two-minute round versus the three-minute round. And the WBC, which is the 
the biggest opposition to the three-minute round. There's commissions all across the United States that that accept the three-minute round. They've done it in the past. They've done 12-round, three-minute, 12 three-minute rounds for world title fights like Leila MacArthur fought years and years ago. California is willing to accept a three-minute round if both fighters are in fit, you know, in, 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 in good medical condition and if the two fighters agree to it. You know, just recently Marlene Esparza, well, Senesa Estrada and Marlene Esparza fought in a three-minute round in Vegas some years ago. So it's theirs. But the biggest opposers of the three-minute round is the WBC. They have come up with de- with medical reasons of why we shouldn't allow a three-minute round. David, do you think that this, being that it's a female fighter, takes that the three-minute round cause steps back? Uh, no, I don't think so at all because this happened in the two-minute round. Um, mm-hmm. It's Basically, boxing is just dangerous. It's just mm-hmm. like car racing or skydiving. You know what the risks mm-hmm. are. If you do it, then you you always know. I mean, all fighters go into the boxing ring knowing that that could happen. The, the, the odds are very long that it's not going to happen because there's a lot of protocols. There's referees that are trained. There are doctors. Even trainers are supposed to know how to do it. And there's a medical personnel there. But even with all of that, there's always a danger. It could be one round that you would still have uh, danger. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I've always felt that, I mean, you you either are against boxing, there's no set limit. There's no safe limit. There's no two minutes is safer than three minutes. I mean, this happened under two minutes. It, it's that's it proves my fact. It can happen in one minute. It can happen in twenty seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It it really doesn't matter about that. Uh the only thing the reason I've always argued uh in favor of three minutes is that it makes it fair. Women want to be considered on the same level as men and three minutes is what the men do. They even do it in the amateur uh the amateur world. The Olympics had three minute three minute rounds. Uh, it just makes sense to just make it uniform across the sport for men and women, for amateurs and pros, three-minute rounds. That, that's my I, – I, and I only say that because I know the majority of the women want three-minute rounds. Yeah. Now, Lupi, I mean, like you said – yeah, go ahead. Would you I was consider just it a valid – go ahead, go ahead, and then I'll ask you the question. Okay, no, I was just going to say that, um, you know, David is right. I mean, it's just a dangerous sport. I mean, the WBC, they work with um, the studies out of UCLA, you know, that women have, you know, it's at the base of the neck, it's formed different. And, but like you said, it was under two minutes. So. But do you think, and here's my question, do you think that it gives them a valid argument in stating that, hey, you know what, this happened in two minutes and she, she suffered you know, tragic results from it. So if we go to a three-minute round, we're going to see more of this because they're going to get hit more. Do you think that is a valid argument if somebody were to prompt that? I think it can be, but the people who believe one way, they're still going to believe one way, and it'll be the argument for those that believe for the three-minute round. I mean, I always think it's up to the fighter. I think that fighters should be able to decide. They should have the option of three minutes. Do you guys agree on it? Sure. Do you not? No, we don't. You know? 
boxers are getting in the ring. I agree with what you're saying because at the end of the day, you know, and this is something that I, this is something that I always uh, mention to people when, you know, we, we talk about boxing and, and, and we have this show and we, we watch boxing and David has been around boxing a long time. And I've been around boxing a long time. And Lupe, you've been around boxing. Your dad was a boxer, um, you know, and, 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 every, and a lot of people that listen to the show have been around boxing and watching boxing at the end of the day. And we kind of, I think we get desensitized about what the sport is about. And in professional boxing, when you get to the nitty gritty of it, professional boxing is about hurting your opponent so much that they, they're unconscious. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants to knock somebody out. And when you knock them out, it's because they, for a split second or for two seconds or for a second or, or even for a 10-second count, that person are not in full capacity of their senses. That is what the sport mm-hmm. is about, and you get paid for it, right? But because we're mm-hmm. around it so much and, we get, and, we, and we're desensitized to it, we don't see it that way. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. And these fighters, they know that that's the risk that they take when this, they mm-hmm. take those steps into the ring, you know? So I agree with you. If these, if these fighters, whether it be male or female, you know, are willing to take the risk, they're adults, they have trained, they're, they're skilled, and they're willing to go up those steps and jump into that ring and do what they love and fight, then they have the option to say, we want to fight a three-minute round. Now, we've said it on the show before that we think they're mistaken in believing that they're going to get paid the same amount of money as men are because the circumstances are different. It's not like punching a clock. It's not like you're going in there and punching a clock and because you're in the ring for 36 minutes, you're going to get paid like a male fighter that's in there for 36 minutes, it just doesn't happen. Why? Because the rest of the world doesn't happen that way. And, and we're, and you know, as a society, we might say that we're fighting, we're, we're working towards it because you could go up, you could Google reports where it says that females get women. I don't want to use the word females. Women get paid, you know, 25 cents to the dollar in this industry compared to men and 50% and, and, and 60 cents a dollar compared to men in this industry. Whatever it is, women are always going to get paid less for whatever reason. I mean, that's the way of the world. And it's going to be the same in boxing, you know, until it gets to a certain mm-hmm. point. Because Clarissa Shields gets mm-hmm. paid more than a lot of male fighters out there. Katie Taylor gets paid a lot more than a lot of fighters out there. It's just, mm-hmm. that's just the business side of it. But I do agree with both of you that if they decide and they as adults and, you know, decide to to fight in a three-minute round, then they have the right to fight in a three-minute round, you know? And this is not going to change. Okay. This shouldn't change that, but people can use it as an argument that, like, hey, you see what happened to this 18-year-old young lady? You know, if we go more time, if we go more minutes around, it's going to happen to more of them. I don't think that's an argument, but they can use it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. with that said, let's go to uh, more uh, fight talk. And it was announced last week, at the end of last week, Matchroom's tournament, calling it Road to Undisputed, where we thought mm-hmm. that they're going to have a tournament, and they're still going to have it, but because of COVID and I think that other circumstances, they have not been able to put it together. One of them, Maiva Hamadou, is trying for the Olympics. We thought that the first tournament that we were going to see in female boxing within within champions or with champions was going to be at 130 pounds between 
Michaela Mayer, Maiva Hamadouche, uh, Hyunmin Choi, and Terry Harper. Terry Harper has gotten hurt. Hyunmin Choi was supposed to fight Argentina, Soledad Matiz in Korea. That fight fell through. Maiva Hamadouche is recuperating. Well, she's not fighting or she's coming back from her Olympic uh, try and that didn't work out for her. And then Terry and then Michaela Mayer has she's training but has not announced her next card. But Matchroom Boxing, in association with Debella Entertainment, announced this road to Undisputed with the first foul being scheduled for October 30th, I believe, on the zone. And that's going <laughs> to be between WBC world champion Chantel Cameron and IBF world champion Mary McGee. And then the second fight, which I don't think has a date, is going to be between <laughs> Kelly November. Reed, November. Kelly Reese, who holds the WBA and the IBO titles, and also the vacant WBO title is going to be on the line for her and Jessica Camara. Jessica Camara, who's coming off a win over, who did she just beat? Was it Heather Hardy? Right after Heather that. Heather Hardy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think it was I Hardy. Think this, yeah, I think this is great. Cameron McGee, Reese Kamara. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait. I mean, this, and I think this is kind of like gonna set the blueprint for when that 130 pound title uh, or 130 pound tournament comes up. David, what do you think about this idea? And what do you think about these matchups? Oh, it's really. Oh, first I want to say is that uh, the undisputed super middleweight championship is going to be decided oh, on yeah. Tuesday with Franchon yeah. Cruz and uh, uh, Aline Sidhu. Ah, That'll be yeah. Tuesday. We'll talk and about that. So that's going to be the first undisputed one. But then this one, this one's really great because uh, we know that um, it's kind of even, even. I mean, there's no person that you can just say that person's going to win it all. It, it mm-hmm. seems kind of even. I really like the matchups. Yeah, me too. Do you feel, Lupi, that the odd woman out might be Jessica Camara because she's not as known as the other three? She's coming off that Heather Hardy win, but I think that was at 135, and she's going up to 140. Do you think she's the odd woman out, or does she wholeheartedly deserves her place within these four? I think she deserves her place. I mean, she really, that Heather Hardy fight, I mean, she showed up. I mean, she's just. I, I like both of the matches. I mean, you have Chantel with Mary McGee. I mean, Chantel's one of the best right now. Mary McGee's been in the game for such a long time. Callie Reese and Jessica Camara, I think it's a great, exciting matchup. Even though Jessica Camara may not be as known, I think she was after Heather Hardy. I think that was a great fight for her. And now, look, I think I'm excited about it. And I think it also helped the fact that Christina Linadartu is pregnant. So I think that she would have oh, been the more yeah. logical fourth. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because Callie, I believe Callie Reese McGee and is Camaras also uh, um, represented by Split Team Management? Yeah. Yes. Team Empire? Yeah. Is it Split yeah. Team as well? Well, okay. Empire got it partnered up with Split T. And um, mm-hmm. so Camaras with Split T as well, right? Yeah. So he has three, yeah. three or four. And Lena Dartu is with, with uh, Split T as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that would have been the more logical fourth, but the, the fact that she's um, pregnant, you know, kind of gives away to yeah. Kamara. So Kamara gets a chance there to put it together. So that's going to be very exciting, and we're waiting for that. After the this weekend's action, ESPN.com released their pound-for-pound pound list, 
And Kay Taylor still remains on top of that list with Clarissa Shields coming in second, Amanda Serrano, third, Jessica McCaskill, fourth, Jessica McCaskill is actually in Leeds um, for, I think she was commentating on that DAZN uh, card. Michaela Mayer is coming in number five. Number six is Delphine Persoon, who is the questionable, uh, you know, I mean, she had her moment. She hasn't really looked great. But I think I think other fighters have shown that they deserve a spot, and she's kind of taking a spot. The one that really doesn't deserve to be on this spot is Christina <laughs> Hammer coming in at number seven. I mean, she hasn't fought as a professional since, I think, that comeback fight. She did, I think, one comeback fight after that Clarissa Shields loss, right? And then we have Cecilia Breakhouse, who might be on the, on the, on the fence as far as deserving a spot here. <laughs> But being that her trajectory is so, so long and, and, and accomplished, you know, you got to give her the benefit of the doubt. Then you have Terry Harper coming in at nine and, um, you know, some fresh blood in there, Sinesa Strata coming in at 10. So, I mean, I'm sure that David and Lupe, you guys agree with, with, that, ass- uh, the, with that assessment of the whole list, right? With the uh, pursuit and hammer maybe not deserving the spot. Yeah, no. yeah not at all. I don't know. What year is this? I know. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think they really follow women's boxing. <laughs> Some of those choices, I like. Well, I know they're. I don't panel. think they there's really know what they're voting about. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know there's but a pa- panel on there, but I. I mean, I don't remember who the panel is, but I know that like Andre Ward's <laughs> in there, Timothy Bradley, Mike Coppinger. I don't Coppinger, think they, who... they know. I don't think they follow women's boxing. I really don't. I bet you, if yeah. I were to ask them. Uh, some questions they would fail all they would all fail. Um, and they probably but, but and they one, probably just watch the stuff that's broadcast on ESPN, which is Michaela Mayer. And maybe yeah. Taylor and Shields and Serrano because they're like the bigger names in McCaskill. But for for one thing, Hammer and Pursoon all lost in their amateur fights when they're trying out for the Olympics. I mean, <laughs> right there, you they lost. So mm-hmm. are we gonna say that the people that beat them should be in the pound for pound list instead? <laughs> I mean, and, and so did Maeva Hamadou. She lost too. Uh, all those, all those fighters lost. They should not be in that list. They they fought in the ring, fair and square. They lost. Whether it was pro or amateurs, they lost. They should not be in that list. And I think all those panelists should uh, uh, take a look at those fights and, and determine for themselves. Because I don't think they're really doing their homework. Yeah, no, I mean the, the only reason that the only reason that I brought it up on the on the show is was a is that they, I mean, they posted it, so I thought there had been some changes, and the fact that I find it interesting <laughs> that despite everything, they still have Pursuit and Hammer on there. Like I say, I think there's more deserving women that have done, you know, some they have accomplished um, some things since Pursuit and Hammer we last saw them in their last losses. So. So there you go. One of them that's on the list at number two is Clarissa Shields, who announced with her team that she has signed an exclusive uh, contract with Sky Sports in the United Kingdom. So what that means, it's a multi-fight deal, and the fights will be brought promoted by a British promotional company called Boxer, which I personally have never heard of. But um, one of the fighters that is on that under that banner of Boxer with a double X. Um, is Savannah Marshall. So, obviously, it leads somewhere down the line 
that Clarissa Shields will fight Savannah Marshall in the UK, where quite possibly they already have agreed to at least a minimum for that fight. Demetrius Salida of Salida Promotions, who is um, Clarissa Shields' promoter, at least stateside, and I would imagine in the rest of the world, except in the UK, mm-hmm. maybe co-promoter in the UK, stated, we want to make a UK debut before the Savannah, Mar- Savannah fight, and we're on the road to make that happen before the end of the year. After that, our plan is for the next fight to be against Savannah. That's the plan, and that's what we want. What we do know about Clarissa Shields, it seems like she will be back fighting, but it's going to be in an octagon in October, and she mentioned that she would like Savannah Marshall to be octagon side, not ringside, see what I did there? <laughs> octagon side um, to promote that fight. So good for her. I mean, she gets paid more money and that we finally see the fight that I think makes the most sense for Clarissa Shields. And it is to revenge that loss in the, her only loss, her only loss, not her only loss in the amateurs, not her only loss in professional, the only loss that she's ever had inside a boxing ring was in a world tournament in the amateurs to Savannah Marshall. And I'm sure she would like to avenge it, even though she thinks that she's way past it. And she was only 17 when it happened and, and all this stuff that she has posted on, on social media. I'm sure the way that Clarissa Shields is and the way that we've known her to be very, 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 very competitive. She wants to finally say, okay, you beat me. Now I beat you. And maybe there's even a chance for a third one, maybe not. If she knocks her out, there wouldn't be a reason to. So hopefully we see it. David, do you think we see it in 2022? See what? The fight between oh. Shields and Marshall. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what this is all about. Now, do you think it's a disservice to Shields that the fight more than likely is going to be in the U.K.? No, I think that basically it came down to who was offering the most money, and it was the U.K. that was offering the most money. And that's yeah. what it usually comes down to. Uh, I don't think uh, – I think Caressa's confident enough to think that she can beat him, beat uh, Savannah Marshall in Europe or South America or the Arctic Ocean. Uh, otherwise, she wouldn't have taken this. But it's all about um, – it's, it's all about money. I mean, they probably mm-hmm. offered the most money. Knowing Mark Taffet, her manager, he sought out the best deal possible, and that's what they came up with. Mm. Lupi, do you see Shields as a favorite in this fight? I'd say this is one that I don't know if there is a favorite. I think. Wow. I think, no, I think. I'm just thinking about who, what social media I listen to, and there's just diehard Clarissa fans. There's a lot of diehard Savannah Marshall fans, and it's like this is going to be really good once if they build it up right. You know what trips me out is that you have a two-time American Olympian gold medalist, and she gets signed the biggest money from UK. That's what I'm taking from all this right now. It kind of upsets me, but I think it's, yeah, I think good fight. That's great. That's what I thought so as well, David. Is that here we have probably the biggest female fight to be made. Well, along with Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, and one that we're not the the one that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds is not the biggest fight. It could have been at one point, but maybe they're a little bit past their prime. Um, but the biggest fight, and who who gets the fight, 
it's not Ludibella or Showtime or anybody like that, but a promotional company that I personally have never heard of, which is called Boxer. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, what it is is that Savannah Marshall is not big in the United States. I don't know who she is. I mean, only we know because we know the boxing world. But in the U.S., you won't be able to – you could ask 10 people, and none of them would know who she is if they don't follow boxing. They have no idea. But Clarissa, they do know. Uh, but in the U.K., Savannah is a big thing, and that's why they were able to uh, sign him to this deal. It just It's all about the Savannah Marshall fight, and that's what they want. That's what Clarissa wants, and the biggest money – had to come from the UK because that's the only place that Savannah Marshall is really known. And they all know Clarissa over there. They hate her. So it's going to be mm. huge for them. Huge in the UK. Very true. Very true. And lastly, in our fight chatter, it was announced earlier this week, and they've announced it before. They announced it before, but they seem pretty sure of it now that we're finally going to see sometime in October, possibly the last half of the October with the date and a, and, and a televised. It's probably gonna, just going to be televised in Mexico, probably could get a theme. But finally, Jackie Nava is going to be facing Mariana Barri Juarez for a symbolic WBC pink diamond belt, white pink, because October is Breast uh, Cancer Awareness Month. And the fact that, you know, the diamond belt is set aside for big, meaningful fights, maybe not to the point that it's a world title because none of them are champions. Juarez was beaten by Julian Luna not too long ago. Nava is not a champion anymore, but they are going to be fighting for the symbolic WBC pink diamond belt sometime in October. So it was announced earlier this week during a WBC press conference. So hopefully it happens because not too long ago, they had a couple years ago, they had a joint press conference uh, where they announced it, and then the fight ended up not having, not happening because, you know, ja- Jackie Nava belongs to one promotional company that has an agreement with one television network in Mexico and Juarez to another promotional company with another TV network. But because things have changed in Mexico TV, it seems like now that we might be getting closer to the fight, David and Lupi. So we've got that to look forward to in October. Who's going to tell yeah, I think it? that's also October 30th, right? I'm not sure. They they have actually set the date, and they haven't stated who's gonna who's gonna um, televise it. But I believe more than likely it's gonna be the Azteca channel because because Promociones del Pueblo are not doing anything through Televisa anymore. They've only been doing stuff through ESPN Knockout, which is like the ESPN Latin America version of the ESPN channel. Uh, um, and and they're not they don't have the licensing fee to put a fight like this together and um and maybe Azteca Sanford is doing still on Azteca channel but very very minimal maybe once a month so this might be the once a month show that they're gonna put together for the Azteca channel. Wow, boxing is really in decline over there. Yeah, as far mm-hmm. as TV is concerned. Oh, that's too bad. Now, uh, we only got a little bit of time left. We got about three minutes, so let's go fairly quickly here. Actually, two minutes and 45 seconds. We go to upcoming calendar starting Friday, September 10th. This was going to be a world title fight between WBC Bantamweight title Julian Luna and uh, veteran Candy Sandoval, but that Candy Sandoval was scratched, and now there's Carla Valenzuela in her stead. Mm-hmm. I don't believe this is a 
yeah, I don't believe this is a, a, a world title fight anymore. Valenzuela actually has a record, and I researched it before we went on air. Three wins, 22 losses, one knockout. She lost her last seven, and of, the last, of those last seven, three by knockout. So more than likely, this is not going to be televised, and it shouldn't be for a world title. The Candy Sandoval fight shouldn't have been for a world title, and this one more, should not be for a world title. Um, Saturday, September 11th from Russia, Tatiana Trasevskaya goes against Jessica Gonzalez in a 10-rounder at 118 pounds for the interim WBC title. Jessica Gonzalez, you get a chance to go on box trick and check out her record. No way deserving of a WBC interim title opportunity. She's lost um, her last two or three fights. So, WBC, baby. WBC, Tuesday, September 14th, Hollywood, Florida on Fight TV. David mentioned it. French Jean Cruz is earned against Elenin Seduros for all the marbles at 168. WBC, WBA, IBF, and WBO. Fairly quickly, Lupi, who takes it, Desern or Seduros? I'm taking French Jean. David? Uh, I'm going with French Jean. There you go. Friday, September 17th. It should be a good fight. It should be a good fight. fight. Friday, September 17th from Argentina. Jessica Tutibac comes back. After a couple of years against Juliana Vanessa Basualdo in a six-rounder at Bantamweight, Basualdo's record four and two, I believe. And lastly, Saturday, September 18th, from Panama, Maribel Ramirez defends her WBA 115-pound title against Jaritza Perez. Our next show is scheduled for September 23rd. We've run out of time. We thank you all for listening to the show. We thank Serena McCoy for being with us. And with that said, we bid you good night, everybody. Good night. And now, your show, Two Minute Rounds. Contigo, güey. No sé si todavía andas en el negocio ese que era como no, no, 